0: I'm so thankful you could join us for this Christmas Eve service today. I want to, in a moment, I want to read from that familiar account of the Christmas story found in Luke chapter two. But as I do, I want to encourage you to listen for a word that we really wouldn't expect in here, but it's repeated three times. When something gets repeated three times in a short period of time in the Bible, it's kind of like putting an email in all caps. It's kind of screaming for attention. And if it weren't in the Christmas story, we would think, that's really strange. Listen, it says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everybody went to be registered, each in his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the family the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In that same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angel left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about the child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that Jesus came as a baby, humble, vulnerable, apparently weak. We thank you that you've shown us your love in such a tangible way, that you've shown us your victory and your power in such a real way. We thank you for your word and that we can trust it. I pray that we would walk with you more closely this Christmas. Through Christ we pray, amen. Did you hear the word that was repeated three times? That's unusual. Now it may not seem unusual to us, but it's the word manger. And the word manger really is in stark contrast with the opening line of this passage. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to the whole empire. The story begins in the throne room of Rome, of power. But in contrast with the Roman throne, you have a manger. And if you think about it again, how strange this is! It's kind of like making a story around. I have a dog dish for my dog's food. A manger is basically a a, a a place for the animals to slobber while they eat their food. You know, imagine a story about a dog dish where the focus gets on the dog dish, and so it is. In there now, what are we to do with this? Now, a lot of people. There's such a contrast between. Um, between the Roman throne and this manger. And, and sadly, a lot of people miss it. See, for instance, there are a lot of people that will look at this story this Christmas, and they'll see a contrast of the inequities of power. They'll look at the power of Caesar's throne in contrast with the powerlessness of the manger. <clears throat> if anybody ever says that to you, they've lost the upper story, haven't they? Because we read this today when we realize there really is very little power in Rome. The real power, the eternal power, the mighty God is in the manger. There's no inequity of power issue here. Some people see it as a contrast in economic inequity. Caesar, wealthy. The manger, poverty, homelessness. But again, if you see it that way, you miss the point. How much wealth does Rome really have? All wealth is in that manger. Eternal wealth is with God. Spiritual wealth, relational wealth, kingdom wealth isn't a sad thing, it's a sad thing for me when people look at wealth of Rome and they somehow think that if they don't have the wealth of Rome, they're somehow being cheated. That that's how somehow, and just, who wants that kind of temporary? Why would we want for the wealth that passes? Again, it's it's the point. Some people see the, the, the disparity here between <clears throat> victim and victimizer, oppressed and oppressor, privileged and underprivileged. But again, who's really the victim in this story? Do you look at the manger and say, Oh, Jesus, he's a victim? No, you say, Jesus, he's the victor. You look at Caesar and think, He's a victim of Satan, He's a victim of believing the lies of the father of lies he's being oppressed by sin jesus isn't oppressed not if you think about it in upper story terms the contrast is not privilege of of caesar and underprivilege of mary and joseph oh no if that's what we see we miss the point the contrast between the roman throne and the manger in Bethlehem is a contrast of the presence of God. It's the contrast of being near the power and presence of God himself. The contrast is Caesar living without God in defiance. Mary and Joseph living with God. Hearing his voice in obedience, following, living fully in the presence and the power of God. I recently heard somebody ask, how long can we enjoy the party without the host of honor? I was thinking about my son and daughter-in-law's wedding recently. I go to a typical wedding today and, and there's the ceremony and everybody's happy because as soon as the, as soon as the uh, 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 the groom and bride are there, because that's the. I mean, it's about them. It's about that they're the hosts. And then there's that time where after the wedding, there's the celebration. But there's that time between the wedding ceremony and the celebration, where the bride and groom are off somewhere else. They're getting pictures taken. They're spending time alone, just kind of enjoying each whatever. But then the guests are without the hosts, and while it's a okay time and you're kind of in, enjoying the hors d'oeuvres, or whatever, it's still a time of what it's like. Something is significantly missing. You can kind of enjoy it, but not like you, not like you enjoy it when the bride and groom are with you. And so it is in life. It is possible to enjoy the party that God is throwing here, the party of life that he would have us to have, even the church, without enjoying the presence and power of God, it's possible to enjoy the party of Christmas apart from God's presence. You see, there are two kinds of people walking this world. There there are Caesar people who live life content to party without God. Caesar has power. Caesar has money. Caesar has fame. But Caesar has nothing because he's living in isolation with his independent spirit from God. How much can he really enjoy the party separated from the host? And then you go to the manger in Bethlehem and you see Mary and Joseph and the baby who, while they don't have any of that temporary stuff that people so reach for and grab for and, and idolize. They have the wealth of the presence of God. All they've been doing is listening to God's voice and obeying. They're enjoying the part. They can enjoy life because God is with them. Sure, Herod may try to kill their child, but God is protecting them. God leads them. And they may not enjoy going to Egypt. They probably want to go back to Nazareth. But they enjoy the party because they're under the guidance of God. They're under the provision and protection of God. They enjoy the songs of the angels, the friendship of the shepherds, the gifts of the wise men. They enjoy the power of hope in the future. Moment by moment, just following God. So it is, this Christmas with us all. Will you try to enjoy the party without the host? How long will you try to enjoy the party without the host? What would it look like for us today to move out of the throne room of Rome into the manger room with Mary and Joseph? Joseph saying God we just want to be in your presence. As a preacher, I got to confess, it's possible to write sermons without the presence and power of God. I just I just depend on my own abilities. I just depend on my own study. I just depend on my own um experience in the past. But there's But but to really enjoy it in God's presence, it's like there must be prayer, there's a seeking of God, there's a listening to God, there's asking God, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to do this? It's possible to worship without the presence and power of God. Just kind of going through the motions. It's called religion. And so we go to services and we sing the songs, but we don't really necessarily think deeply. We say the words, but we don't necessarily personally engage with God. It's possible for us to go through the motions of this Christmas celebrations without the joy of the host and his presence and power. It's possible to buy gifts just on our own. We're not thinking, God, what would you have me to do? How would you bless this person? God, how would you have me budget my mind? We just think, I'm going to just do what everybody else does. I'm just going to do this without even, we don't even think, it's other words, like directly defiant of God. It's just like we're living as though God isn't sovereign in this moment, like God's presence isn't needed here. What would it look like to live in the presence of the power of God? What would it look like to walk in, in every moment, look for, see opportunities. God, is there somebody that you want me to bless? Is there somebody that you want me to thank? Is there somebody that you want me to encourage? God, these are my hands and feet. Is there something you want me to give? Um, looking for opportunities. If you're a parent, looking for opportunities to share Christ with your the, the Bible stories with your children or your grandchildren. Again, think about what it meant for Mary and Joseph to live in the power and presence of Jesus, the power and presence of God. It, 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 it simply meant... Daily obedience, it meant day to day, they were faithful as husband and wife. It meant day to day, they practiced the, the Torah, the Old Testament law, they just obeyed what God said was right. It meant when they did work, they did their best work for God, but they did it in his presence and in his power, walking in obedience to him. It meant, Lord, where do you want me to go today? I'll go with you today. Want me to go to Egypt? Want me to go to Nazareth? Want me to go to Bethlehem? When we go to Jerusalem, when we go to the temple, when we go to work, Lord, I want to do it in your power and presence. What does it look like for you this Christmas to enjoy the party with the presence and the power of the host? That's the opportunity. Live for him today. You know where I think that begins? I think it begins by. Taking some time every day, I'll tell you what it does for me, I have to stop in the beginning of every day to listen to his voice. I stop every day in the beginning of the day and pray through the Lord's prayer, listening to his worship songs, focusing on his holiness, listening for what he would have me to hear, confessing sin seeking His guidance, surrendering my life to Him and my day to Him in a fresh way. And when you do that, there's so much joy. Um, We were driving the other day um, and a deer ran out in front of our van and hit the van and did a bunch of damage. Um, Not a nice thing. I'm not not happy that it happened, but you know what? I was so thankful that I prayed, that I presented that day before God and said, God, I don't know what I'm gonna to face today, but I wanna face it with you. Will you walk with me? Will you guide me? Will you help me know that you're going ahead of me? No matter what I face, you're gonna face it with me. And so even though in that moment, there was a part of me that was like, ah, this is horrible, I'm angry. There was also this sense of peace of, man, I'm so glad I I handed this day to God and I can walk with this him through this. What's it look like for you to enjoy the party, with the presence and the power of the host. You know what the result of days like that is, living life like that? I love the way this story ends in verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard. The result of living in the presence and power of God is joy. It's knowing that God is with you no matter what, things go well, there's joy. Things don't go well, there's confidence in God. But we can go on our way rejoicing and praising God. My prayer for you this Christmas is to enjoy every minute of the party with the host. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the manger because most of us live manger lives. We don't have lots of power. We don't have lots of money. We don't have lots of control. We're not going around bossing the world around. And yet, Lord, we are so rich in you. You give us everything that we need. We're so rich in your presence. You provide us the power to face every day. Lord, at Christmas, ironically, it's easy to kind of forget you and sort of go through the motions and and just sort of live on our own may we lord we invite you to be the host the one that we celebrate this christmas through christ we pray amen thanks for joining us